Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Amen. Well, good morning, church. We have the three and five-year-olds. If you want to, you can go ahead and be dismissed and head out to uh, your classroom. And for the rest of us, we are going to continue on in our James series. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them or turn them on. Uh, We're going to be in James chapter 3 today. James chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12 is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, And as you're turning there, I'm just going to kind of do a quick recap of what we've covered uh, just mainly over last week. uh, Because I think that, again, this is a train of thought uh, that James is just kind of following. And I think it's just... Good for us to know this and just to have this as kind of a, uh, a foundation for us as he's really just unpacking just wisdom for us. Uh, wisdom for us that's coming from above and wisdom for just how to live. Oftentimes, James is kind of referred to as um, just the, the poetry or the wisdom, kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. And what that is, is just he, he gets down to just practical living. Like, how do I live out the gospel in my daily life? How do I take the truths uh, that we are proclaiming and that we are declaring in the gospel? How do we look at the life of Jesus? And how does that actually live itself out in our lives? And so where where Paul tends to be very heavy theologically, James is very heavy practically on how this, again, applies out to our lives. And so one of the primary things that we looked at last week was this idea of faith and works. And what James was really getting at was in some ways seeming contradictory to what Paul When you have Paul in, in Ephesians 2 uh, talking about the fact that we are saved by grace alone, Uh, through faith alone and that it is not due to our works that it's not due to anything that we do or can do or anything that we think or or uh, can kind of attain up to James is kind of throwing a a wrench in the that when he comes and says in the end of chapter two that our faith is also accompanied by works and that uh, you say you have faith I'm going to show you faith by my works or that one is not justified by faith alone but by works also And so it kind of seems different than what maybe the Apostle Paul was preaching in his letters. And what we really looked at is what James was preaching to these Jewish Christians who are dispersed throughout the region. What he's telling them is, is there are people saying that they have faith. There are people proclaiming that they are Christians, yet their lives are not matching up with it. Their lives are not displaying the fact that there's actually true, genuine faith within them. And so what he's essentially saying is you can't say you're a Christian and not live a life that also reveals that you're a Christian. You can't say that you've met Jesus and nothing happened or or that I met Jesus and nothing changed. And so what he's ultimately saying is, is what Jesus is also preaching and proclaiming is that in order for you to uh, say your team Jesus, the way in which that's going to be revealed is by the fruit that's lived out. You will prove to be my disciples by the way you live your lives, that there's actually been a transformation of heart. And so one of the things that we did last week is we kind of laid out an equation for you, if you will, of, of how God goes about saving us. And, and it all starts with what God does for you in the work of justifying you, in the work of sending his son Jesus to save you, forgive you, uh, declare you pardoned. That is all the work that God does in saving you. He justifies you. 
And then also the work of regeneration is the work of him giving you a new heart. And so for those of us who say we have faith, if it's genuine faith, that means God has taken out the heart of stone, the sinful heart, and he's spiritually given you a new heart, a new identity, a heart that wants to love God, wants to serve God, wants to pray to God, wants to uh, love and serve others, wants to have Jesus increase in their lives and them decrease, as John the Baptist says. And so So it's this new identity, this new heart that then leads to, I want to do good works, which is what God does through us. So justification is what God does for us. Regeneration is what God does in us. And good works is what God does through us. And when our works are matching up with what we're preaching, what we're saying, that's proving that God has actually saved you. He's actually saved you. And so someone who says he saved me, but yet does not live a life that shows that they've been saved is just revealing the fact that maybe he's not saved you. Maybe you've not trusted in Jesus. Maybe you don't have faith in Jesus. You don't have a genuine faith in him. And so we, we need to marry those two things together. And, and now as James is kind of moving into this idea of, of taming the tongue and, and our speech and what comes out of our mouth is still in this same train of thought that that what comes out of your mouth is revealing who you truly are. It's revealing your heart. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. This big idea of taming the tongue reveals the fruit of the heart. And so no new heart, no self-control, no ability to tame the tongue. So let's look at this. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And it says this. Now many of you should... Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that this word this morning that you've inspired, that James wrote to these Jewish Christians who were dispersed throughout the region in first century, 
May this word, may the truth of it penetrate our hearts and our minds this morning. And may your spirit guide us in understanding this truth so that as you are continuing to mold us and transform us, that this would disciple us with our speech and how to tame our words and our tongue so that we may be edifying and encouraging to others and that it also may be revealing of our true heart, our true nature. Father, we love you and we ask all these things in your son's name. In Jesus we pray. Amen. From this passage, I've got three observations that I want to look at this morning. First, the tongue can steer the course of your life. The tongue can steer the course of your life. Secondly, we're going to look at how the tongue can also uh, set on fire the course of your life. And then finally, the tongue can either be a member for evil or for good. And so looking at the first one, and this is really the first five verses of this passage, is, is this great truth for you this morning, is that the tongue can steer your life. The tongue can steer your life. And so one thing to look at, and this is good news for you, is that your intelligence or your physical fitness or your likability uh, or your trade or career or skill set, those things do not direct the success or your experience in life. They just don't. Like they do not direct the success or experience in your life. And is that not what we think? Like, that's how we typically operate when it comes to our lives. Now, I know those things do play a part for sure, but they are not the primary. Like, for example, education, although a great thing and is something worth pursuing, is not the thing that determines the success of your life. It does not determine the course of your life. I think you should be educated. I think you should pursue education. I mean, we're big on knowledge here, both biblically, but also war- like we want you to know things and, and increase your mind. I mean, that's why we have the Institute. We want to increase that. But knowledge does not dictate the success of your life. Education does not do that. Take physical fitness. Simply being in shape does not mean that you're going to live a long and successful life. Now, it helps, right? I mean, you're able to do more things, maybe in an easier way than you would if you weren't physically fit. Uh, my wife and I were, were celebrating our 10th anniversary this week. Um, and yes, that's great. That's something good to applause. And uh, we, we're, we're going big. We're going to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to take a day trip to the Grand Canyon. And, and people have like, you know, shared with us different hiking trails. And I'm looking at those hiking trails. And I'm thinking my physical fitness right now is probably not suited for a two or three hour hiking trip. I'm looking more for like the 30 minute, maybe get out of the car and just kind of like, where's the lookout points? Like, like give me those because my physical fitness right now is just, um, I just don't have that <laughs> endurance maybe for a long hike. For some, it might be easier. Um, but here's another one, like your likability your popularity among others, your, your followers, if you will, do not determine the course or success of your life. I think one of the most life-sucking and soul-robbing desires we have is, is the need for others to validate us. The need for others to validate us. And, and then think how some, somehow that is what is successful in life. 
I mean, I think that is one of the biggest reasons right now that like influencers are a thing and that they've made a living out of it is by just trying to cast themselves in such a way that they've got everything together and people are all about that, right? Like we're all about looking like we have everything together so much so that we've created this category of influencers where we want to be like them even though behind the scenes and behind the Instagram edits, their life is a mess. Just a mess. All of our lives are just a mess if we really pull back the layers, right? We're just fumbling and stumbling through this, but we've just bought into the lie that a life together that is likable is somehow going to lead to success or steer the course of our life. Another one, and this one is important, what you do, your career, does not determine the course of your life. But it's 40 years of my life. It still does not determine the course of your life. It does not determine the success of your life. One of the major problems I have with Western thinking is you are what you do. You are what you do. I mean, this is not how we, is this not how we introduce ourselves to other people? Hi, my my name is Dwayne and I'm a pastor. What do you do? Well, I'm an accountant or I'm a teacher or I'm a doctor or nurse or and we then kind of identify or define people by what we do. And we've even seen some studies in this that the second largest suicide group are those within five years of retirement. Because their entire life has been defined by what they do, how productive they are, what they provide for society. And when you remove that, who am I? Who am I? What do I have to give? What do I have to produce? What, what, what is going to be successful? Or how am I going to be defined as being successful? So what then steers the course of my life if it's not my intellect or my likability or my skill set? Well, James gives us some illustrations for what actually steers the course of our lives. And it's going to take some work for us to understand this. Starting verse 2 here, for we all stumble, and I'm skipping verse 1 because that can be a sermon in and of itself, and we'll get to that at one point um, when it comes to those being held more accountable when it comes to teaching, uh, and, and we'll tackle that, but I'm skipping it for right now, just throwing that out there, so don't email me. You can email Ransford about it. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle, and that's That's the bridle like on a horse with a bridle over its head where you're then able to steer the horse. Able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Your your tongue... Your speech, your words. And I think this is why James is so big on being quick to hear and slow to speak. Because of the wisdom and importance and the impact of of our words, our speech. Your words are or serve as a guide literally to your whole life. Your words serve as a guide, like a rudder to your whole life. And that can be both a good thing and and a not so good thing, right? Which leads to the second point. 
the tongue can set on fire the course of your life. And I think James lands here a little bit more and not trying to unpack how words can lead to the success of your life, but more so on the other flip side of, of how the words revealing the sinfulness of our heart can actually set the course of our lives ablaze. Ablaze. He focuses more on that aspect of this. So it might be a little bit heavier for us and a little bit more convicting for us when looking at this. But this is what he says. The, the tongue can set on fire the course of your life. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Psalm 5 verse 9 also puts it this way, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. So not only does the tongue serve as a guide to the course of your life, but steering you here and there, but the tongue also can destroy it. And James just gets after it here, straight to the point. He's not beating around the bush. What you say has the power to destroy your life, but also what you say has the power to destroy other people's lives as well. Power to destroy your life, power to destroy others. And is that not true right now? I mean, how many, when you think about our, our society, how many people, whether they're politicians, whether they're teachers, whether they're pastors, uh, whether they're TV hosts, whatever it looks like right now, especially in this kind of new wave of cancel culture, can say one thing and then they're done can say one thing and they're done. Words matter. And they have the power to destroy, which is probably that, the, the thing that makes most sense when it comes to our entire existence. Because if you think about it in terms of God creating, by a word, in His goodness and righteousness, God creates everything. And then in our breaking of that and sinning, by a word, that's all it's got to take. Just by a word, we can deceive, we can destroy, we can break everything that God created. Everything that he set into motion. God in his righteousness speaks goodness. We in our sinfulness speak evil. And it has the effect of setting ablaze our entire lives. Just, just wrecking our entire lives. And that can be both to, like. Just the total aspect of it, where you might have been pursuing one career and by a word, it's gone. Now you got to pursue something else and you could destroy that by a word. Or it could be from a relationship. You could be on the path of a relationship and by a word, it destroys it and sets it ablaze. And then, and then apart from the gospel doing a miraculous work, it might be destroyed forever. I mean, words matter sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me what a dumb quote right I mean just a dumb quote like how many of you have broken a bone it healed and you rarely ever think about it I mean it's true like I've had two knee surgeries and I rarely think about it because it doesn't alter my life now it does not alter my life 
Now, maybe when I get older and storms roll in, I'm going to be like, my joints, man, <laughs> you know, there's a storm rolling in. Like, that might happen eventually, but that's going to be the only time I think about it. Like, breaking of bones and stuff, words have lasting impressions. How many of you right now, again, you, you, you've had issues, physical issues like that, that you rarely think about, but you've had someone say something to you at one point in your life, and it has lasted. And right now, you're thinking of it. It might have been something that your father said to you, your mother said to you, or one of your best friends said to you, and it just cut deep. And it maybe upset some things ablaze. Things like, you'll never amount to anything. Nobody could ever love you. You're not good enough. I mean, those are death blows to the soul that have lasting effects. Or maybe on the flip side, someone told you at a pivotal moment in your life, I will always love you no matter what. Or I think you're wonderful. I'm proud of you. I mean, words carry weight, right? They carry weight. So why do they carry such weight to them? Because simply put, your tongue reveals the state of your heart. Your tongue reveals the state of your heart. It reveals your identity. Your words at the end of the day reveal who you are. They reveal who you are. Just like last week we talked about faith and works and James was getting to the point that your works, the good deeds you do, the good speech you speak, the good news you share, all of that reveals the nature of your heart and whether or not you have a heart that has been transformed by the goodness and grace and mercy of Jesus. It's revealing that. That's why your words carry so much weight and meaning because flowing from your heart they reveal, they reveal your eternity. They reveal your eternity. Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise commands knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. They pour out folly. So how do we become people with tongues of wisdom and not the mouths of fools? And this leads to the final point here. The tongue can either be a member for evil or for good. Looking at verses 7 through 12 here. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Basically, you're just saying there, like, we have the power. Anything that's not human, we can tame it. We can cultivate gardens. We can train animals. We can tame them. We can, we can literally, in, in both positive and negative, oppress and suppress creation. Verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. Uh-oh. <laughs> no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, here's his warning for us, similar to his vein last week. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. Rather, they're revealing where you land. They're revealing your heart. You can't be both. It's 
one or the other. It's all or nothing is what he's saying here. And he gives these illustrations. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a Christian pour forth from their heart both righteousness and unrighteousness? This new spirit that God has given us according to Ezekiel and according to Jeremiah that we looked at last week? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Again, here's the bad news according to James. You can't control your tongue. You can't control what you say or how you say it and what kind of impact it has on another person. You can't control those things in and of yourself. In and of yourself. I think what James is trying to do for us here in telling these Jewish Christians that it's impossible for them to do or on one hand to bless the Lord with their lips and also on the other hand to curse people who are made in the likeness of God. What James is saying is it's all or nothing. There's no heart spring or fig tree or grapevine or pond. Those are metaphors for the heart. There's, there's no new heart that desires, desires to curse others who are made in the image of God. Which is everyone, every human being that has been born in the case you were wondering. Well, whether they're righteous and, and faith-believing, Jesus-following Christians or they're sinners. It doesn't matter. They're still made in the image of God. They still have value and dignity. We are to pursue them in love and still to pursue them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we too were once dead in our trespasses. We too were once in need of grace and mercy. We're no different. If you have a sinful heart, a heart of stone, you cannot control or tame the words that flow from that heart. They may at times imitate good, but at the end of the day, they will curse. For the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. At the end of the day, that's what's going to spring forth from it. Because it's stained and it's influenced by a dead heart. So as a sinner with a bad heart, you cannot tame the tongue. That's the bad news. But James also is providing for us some good news. Because the Bible tells us there's someone who can control it. There's someone who can control it. The Spirit of God alone holds the keys to the identity of the heart and the fruit that pours from it. That's why when God is looking at us, and we shared those passages in Jeremiah and Ezekiel 32, that's why He's saying to us, I'm going to come, I'm going to pursue you in your deadness. As sinners, you're spiritually dead. Remember, he's using that same language with Nicodemus. When Jesus is telling him, though there are people who are physically alive, but spiritually dead. You need to be reborn. The way in which you are reborn is by God coming to you in your spiritual deadness and giving you a new heart. Taking your heart of stone out and giving you a heart of flesh. He gives you a new heart. This new heart that we receive is God giving us a heart that then causes us to walk in step with His Spirit. It causes us to then be able to live out the fruit of the spirits. Or the fruit of the Spirit. No spirits. Spirit. Spirit of God. 
And if you discuss that in your community groups this week, uh, fantastic. I'm hoping that you're still walking that out as you're holding each other accountable and as you're encouraging one another with words of wisdom that are coming from the scriptures themselves of what your identity in the spirit of God is, not what your identity was in your flesh or in yourself. Because in that place, you can't tame it. You can't do anything other than sin. But in the spirit of God, the, the spirit that he's given us, the new heart that he's given us, the word that he's given us, we're able to apply that to our lives and live it out in such a way that we are not setting ablaze our life and destroying it or destroying the lives of others with the words that we say to them. But we are fanning into flame the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus and encouraging that in one another as well as we are growing in that. As we are also preaching that same word to ourselves, to our minds, to our hearts. Listen to what it says. This is the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And this is going to be the passage that I close this out with. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, the heart, the old heart, the heart of stone, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit of God, you are not under the law. If you are led by the spirit of God, which means he's given you a new heart. If you're led by that. You will not do the things that your flesh used to desire. And what were those things? We see it here in verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Envy drunkenness, orgies, and things like these in case I forgot anything and left it out. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things are revealing a heart that's not been transformed by God. They're revealing a tongue that is still in step with the flesh and not the spirit of God. They're revealing an identity that does not have genuine faith in Jesus, but maybe just a spoken faith. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there's no law. There's no condemnation over you living out these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, Paul's kind of getting at the same thing here with James. I've just given you two categories. Those who do not belong to Jesus are going to reveal that by their lifestyle. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified that old lifestyle, put it to death. Repent of it. Stop doing it. Because they have a new desire now to live out and live in step with the Spirit of God. 
They crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And he finishes it with this in verse 25. If we then live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. What's the flip side of that? Instead of provoking one another, we're encouraging one another. Instead of envying one another, we're hoping that they succeed in life. How do those things get fleshed out? Usually it comes and is revealed by our words. By our words. I'll tell you, one of the, and this is, this is revealing some of our cards out on the table. I think one of the hardest things to experience in life is when you're trying to have a kid. And I know this does not fit everyone's situation, but it might land on you in some way or another. Is when you find yourself in a life trying to have a kid and you can't. Or just, it's not happened yet. And then your friends announce they're pregnant. That does some work in your soul. Where in that moment, even though there's a part of you that's excited for you, for them, there's also a part of you that's not. That's just not. I'll tell you, cards on the table, I've been there. I've been there. That's the war that's happening with us on a daily basis in probably all of the facets of our lives. Whatever career you're, you're, you're pursuing right now, there's probably other people more successful than you in it. And there's also probably people who are uh, not going to be in it very long, <laughs> right? And you're probably finding yourself in between, and you're just kind of looking at the situations. And probably you're going to talk to somebody about it. What James is warning us here is that the revealing of your heart is probably going to lead to the success one way or the other. How you roll with that is going to lead to steering the direction of this. Walking in step with the Spirit of God and encouraging and edifying the success of others in that place is a good thing. Is a good thing. Using words to maybe tear others down because of it. Setting a blaze. Setting in a blaze. I think this goes in all aspects. Relationships that we have. Careers that we have. Our family. The Bible is so, so, it, it, it puts so much weight on our tongue and our words. That I think we should audit them. I really do. I think we should audit them. Like just... If you could put yourself as a fly on the wall to your own conversations that you have on a weekly basis. What notes is that fly going to take when it comes to the, what's coming out of your mouth revealing your heart? Revealing your heart. Sometimes you'll probably walk in step with the Spirit and it's good and it's edifying and it's encouraging. And there's going to be other moments where you're like, man, I just destroyed something. I just set something ablaze. And it carries weight. You might be thinking right now of a conversation that you had maybe this week or this month or this year where you know, you know what, I, I need to get some buckets of water and I need to go and I need to try to reconcile this, this conversation that I had. And I think that's in step with the Spirit to do that. To pursue reconciliation. I think also on the flip side, there's 
there's opportunities for us in those moments to repent and to say, you know what, where, what, why am I doing that? And let that reveal, again, where we're out of step. Where, where, as Paul said here, like not being able to do what you really want to do. Like for those as Christians, and again, this is why James is so harping on this, because at times we can like theologically or mentally, intellectually, we can put ourselves in a category that we're spoken faith. And James is saying like, you got to get down to living it out because again, you're warring with this on a daily basis. Well, you, you realize even though you're justified and you're in good standing with God and your eternity is set, at the same time, you're still dealing with a flesh that has not been glorified yet. Right? Like how many of you still sin? And it bothers you. It should bother you. If it doesn't bother you, we need to have a conversation afterwards. <laughs> because the Lord needs to do some work in you. Probably needs to save you if it doesn't bother you. And so we need to do this work. And this work is being done on a daily basis where we are bringing those sins those desires that now should no longer be our deepest desires again new heart so if i'm walking out of step with that james is warning me here it's either revealing that you're not saved or it's just revealing that hey you're suffering from a temporary identity crisis this is not who you are you need to repent of it you need to stop and you need to trust in the spirit that God has given you and you need to walk in step with the spirit of God you need to be loving you need to be joyful you need to be patient you need to be uh, you need to show peace you need to show self-control you've got it now human beings before can't control or tame the tongue but you've got self-control now so use it walk in step with the spirit of God Trust in the strength and His ability that He's given you to be able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. That's what He's encouraging us to do. And that's what James is just letting the rubber meet the road here. And he's just saying, walk in it. You can do it now. You can do it now because of the Spirit of God who is in you. I think sometimes, unfortunately, we as believers just kind of still walk in, man, which, woe was me gazing like I'm looking down I'm just I can't figure this out I can't I'm just a sinner and yes you are but you're also a sinner saved by grace if it's genuine faith and this sinner saved by grace is now a saint and even though you're going to stumble through this there's a deep desire to be obedient to God's word and to walk in step with his spirit that is our greatest want for those who have genuine faith and because it's your greatest want then give yourself over to that greatest want and live in step with the Spirit of God that is actually not setting your life ablaze, but is leading and directing and steering you to be successful. And what it looks like to be successful might be different for a lot of us, but it's good news for us. It's life-giving. It's no longer you destroying your life, but it's actually leading to flourishing in life. And it's all flowing from the heart that He's given us. Stop using the excuses that the devil made me do it. Or I just, can't, I just can't do it perfectly all the time. Trust in Jesus who did it perfect, who now lives in you and is living through you. So walk in step with those good deeds. Walk in step with his life. And I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're going to experience grace and goodness 
in that. In righteousness. Yes, it's going to be stumbling through it. But it's going to be glorious because it's leading towards glory. It's good. That's why, again, we, we offer confession every week in here because we want you to confess daily. We want you to confess daily because it's leading us back to Jesus. And it's, 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 it's getting that rudder set on the right direction. It's, it's, it's setting the trajectory of our heart back to the heart that He's given us. So when I come and repent daily and I confess daily, Lord, here's, here's where I'm walking out of step with Your Spirit. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm still, uh, obviously I've got blind spots and someone just revealed one of those blind spots to me and I still need to like com- confess that and repent of that and turn from that. I mean, that's just good work. And, and, and the beauty of Romans 8, 1 is that when we come and confess, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the most freeing thing that you can do is to come to Jesus and to His Father and say to Him, I have sinned against you and I've messed up. And I'm here because there's a deeper desire in me to not do that anymore. And to love you and to worship you and to love others and to serve them as well. And so whatever work needs to be done in my heart to adjust and to get in there and, and, and to put to death the things that are of the flesh and to bring, to pour forth out of my heart the things that are of you. Man, do that work in me right now, Lord. Just continue to work it out. And he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to work those things out and to complete the good work that he started in you. That's the work of confession. We're able to just freely come to the Lord. You don't have to run and hide like Adam and Eve did. The death has already been paid. There's no condemnation towards you in Christ Jesus anymore. So we can now come to Him and have access to Him at any moment to bring these things to Him. Especially our speech. Especially our speech. So just bring it to Him. I love, and I'm going to give it to Tim Keller because I think he's the one that said it. Uh, The only person who dares wake a king at 3 o'clock in the morning is a child. We have that kind of access to our Father. Because there is an unconditional love there. And because of what He's done in justifying us and saving us through the work of His Son, Jesus, He now loves you as a son and and a daughter adopted into His family You've got that access to come to him, and he's not going to get upset that you woke him up. He doesn't sleep. (laughs) Go to the Lord and bring these things to him and repent of them, whatever they might look like. Whatever it is in your life right now that you are just in your old way of doing things, you're setting things ablaze. Bring it to him. Repent of it. Trust in the heart that he's given you, his spirit. Let him do the work in you. And let's walk in step with it. Let's walk in step with it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your good news for us today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of James, the brother of Jesus. We thank you that James is is here just instructing us, inspired by you, instructing us to just get real. 
real with our actions, real with our words, because those actions and those words, they reveal our heart. They reveal our identities. They reveal who we are, whether we're in you or we're not in you. Whether we're walking in step with you or whether we're not walking in step with you. And so I love the practicality of James here. Because it's a litmus test for a lot of us today. And God, it's good work. It's good news for you to do this work in our minds and in our hearts. And if right now we're feeling, man, I have wrecked it. And I have set things ablaze. And I have messed up things. Father, just remind us that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in you, who are in your son, Jesus. You've already paid the price and you have already poured out your wrath towards our sin on your son, Jesus. Just remind us of that. Calm our spirits, calm our anxieties. And Lord, let us trust in your strength, in your energy, in your ability to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to be able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, and to be able to worship you with our lives and to be able to worship you with our speech, the words that come out of our mouths. May we be encouraging to others edifying to you and may we bless you and may we bless others for it's in your son's name we pray amen as we come to this time of communion jesus simply laid down his life to do this work for us knowing that we are wrecking it and destroying it and that the identities of our hearts before Jesus are, are just dead and it just springs forth death and destruction. Jesus comes and he goes to the cross and, and literally lets our sin destroy him and put him to death. Enough for the scriptures to say that we murdered him. We murdered him. But at the same time, Jesus is also saying that he laid his life down. And also at the same time, the Father is saying, I crushed him at the cross. All this is happening so that there could be this great exchange of him taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. And that's a, uh, not, not only just a once and for all moment that happens for us, but it's also a daily exchange that is happening where we give him our sin and we take his righteousness. We give him our sin and we, and, and, and we take his righteousness. And that's what I want us to focus on as we partake of this communion and as we remember the death of Jesus is that right now those things that we've been thinking about, those conversations that we've had, those words that we've maybe have spoken that have set things ablaze. Let's take those and give them to Jesus at the cross and let him crush them and destroy them and put them to death. And let's receive his righteousness that he gives us to then be able to take that back to maybe some of those conversations, to those people, 
to those situations and let it spring forth life and not destruction. So I'm going to have you go ahead and stand. If you don't have the elements, please go back and get them at the table and come back. And when you come back to your seats, we will remember his death together. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, this is what he did. He took the bread. As an illustration, just he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. As a sign of him breaking his body, which is for us. And he wants them to eat it. He wants them to do this in remembrance of him, him breaking his body. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The new covenant, the new heart is only ushered in because of the blood spilt of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the only thing that forgives sin is that it is literally an illustration. It is the death of Jesus that covers our death due our sin. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming the only thing that is able to fix you. His death. So that you don't have to die. His death so that you get to live. You get to live. This is by trusting Jesus at every moment of everything in our lives. We're always choosing life over death. And that's what we're remembering right now. What Jesus has done for us in his death. Let's partake together and worship him. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at